Follow us on Twitter at Louis Gang Entertainment, on YouTube and Instagram at Louis Gang. It will mean so much to the whole team. Around 97% of people who are reported missing either come home or are found dead within a week. And around 99% have come home or been found dead within a year. However, there is 1% who are never seen or heard of again. There are many reasons people go missing and most of them are not crime related. Things like abuse, problems at school or work, mental health issues, relationship breakdowns, debt, suicidal thoughts or bereavement are among the most common reasons people feel so desperate they want to escape everything and everyone they know. For some, the longer they are away, the harder they find it to return and face up to the torture they have put their family and friends through and feel it easier to simply remain hidden. In this video, we look at three cases where people have disappeared in mysterious circumstances for no apparent reason and whose friends and families hold onto the belief that they will one day return safe and well. All the cases still throw up more questions than answers and despite the passage of time, their families are still very much focused on getting answers to what really happened to these missing people. Andrew Godson. On the morning of September 14th, 2007, 14-year-old Andrew Godson left his home in Doncaster, UK and headed for school as usual. But Andrew never reached school that day. Instead, he waited for his parents to go to work before returning home and changing out of his uniform. He then emptied his bank account that had £200 in it and, without leaving a note, he caught a train from Doncaster Station to London, arriving at King's Cross Station at 11.20am. This was the last sighting of Andrew, and no one has seen or heard from him since. Here we look at the background to the case, in the hope that perhaps one of the viewers of this video will recognise him. Andrew was born July 10th, 1993, to parents Kevin and Glennis. Andrew and his sister Charlotte were brought up in a Christian household, although their parents did not impose their views on their children, and as Andrew grew older, he no longer attended church with them. Andrew was a highly intelligent student who studied at the Macaulay Catholic High School in Balby, Doncaster, and he had been expected to score straight A's in his upcoming GCSE exams. Andrew was a quiet boy who enjoyed his own company, although he did have a group of like-minded school friends, although he rarely socialised with them and preferred to spend his time at home reading, gaming, and listening to music such as Slipknot, Muse, and Funeral for a Friend. At the time of his disappearance, there were no obvious signs of depression or mental instability. Andrew was 14 when he disappeared, but he was small for his age and looked more like a 12-year-old and although he was very mature mentally, he was not streetwise. He wore strong prescription glasses and was deaf in one ear 
and has a very unique double ridge on the side of his right ear. Although his hair was light brown the day he disappeared, he intended to dye it black. He was last seen wearing a black slipknot t-shirt, black jeans, a watch on his left wrist, and carrying a black canvas satchel with patches of rock and metal bands on it. In the days leading up to his disappearance, Godson started walking home from school rather than taking the bus, a journey that would take him around 1 hour 20 minutes. But aside from that, his family said he seemed his usual self. The evening before he disappeared was spent with his family, they ate together, washed up, and watched TV. On the morning of September 14th, 2007, Andrew was described by his family as irritable and hard to wake. This was out of character for Andrew, who was normally an early riser. After he left the house to catch his bus to school, he diverted his route and waited in a local park until the rest of the household had left for the day. He was seen there by a family friend, sitting on a bench, and was later captured on a neighbor's CCTV system, returning home. After changing out of his uniform, he put it in the washing machine. He then took his wallet, keys, PlayStation Portable console, and carried them in his bag. He did not take a coat or his passport, and left £100 cash in his bedroom. Andrew left his house and walked to a cash machine at a local garage and withdrew £200 from his bank account. He used this to purchase a train ticket to London. This footage was captured on the morning of his disappearance. He then boarded the train alone and CCTV picked him up at King's Cross Station at 11.25am on September 14th, 2007. This was the last confirmed sighting of Andrew. When the family sat down to eat that evening, they had no idea Andrew was missing. They assumed he was in his room, but alarm bells rang when they realized he wasn't. At around 7pm that evening, the police were informed. A huge search was undertaken, but it turned up nothing, and it was three days before it was established he had bought a one-way train ticket to London. Initial thoughts were he had gone to stay with relatives in London, but again, this drew a blank. The family and the police investigated the possibility that Andrew had gone to London to meet someone whom he had met online. However, there was no evidence for this. Andrew did not use the computer at home and had no interest in social media, and there was no indication he had logged onto a school or library computer either. Another suggestion is Andrew travelled to London to see one of his favourite bands, 30 Seconds to Mars, as they were playing the Brixton Academy that evening, but despite appeals to fans who were at the gig, nothing has turned up. Over the years, there have been dozens of unconfirmed sightings of Andrew from across the UK, and a year after his disappearance, a man visited Leo Minster Police Station and told officers via intercom that he had information about Andrew. However, by the time someone had come to take his information, he had gone. Then, after the BBC featured the case on The One Show, the programme received an anonymous letter from someone claiming to be the man from Leo Minster Police Station. It said Andrew had been seen in Shrewsbury, but investigators have been unable to trace the man or find any evidence that Andrew is indeed in Shrewsbury. Every year, Andrew's family launch fresh appeals and his case has appeared on many more 
popular TV and radio programs across the UK, using age progression images of what he might look like as the years pass. They have also appealed to the gay community as the family have considered the possibility that Andrew could have been struggling with his sexual orientation. In May 2011, the family paid a private company to conduct a sonar search of the River Thames, using the same technology that is used to locate victims and important items at sea. No trace of Andrew was found during the search, though it did uncover another body. In 2017, to mark the 10th anniversary of his disappearance, the charity Missing People made Andrew the face of their Find Every Child campaign, and his image featured on billboards and advertisements throughout the UK. The same year, it was announced that the police were launching a fresh appeal. In a statement, they revealed they would investigate requests for similar optical prescriptions to Andrew, documents from the passport office or national insurance, and they would circulate Andrew's DNA, fingerprints, and dental and health records. The tone of the statement indicated the police believe Andrew is still alive. In 2018, the family got a breakthrough when they received a tip from someone who said he'd been talking to someone named Andy Rue online who had been asking for money because his partner had walked out on him. The person offered to transfer him money but was told he didn't have a bank account because he'd left home when he was 14. It seized the family's interest because their nickname for Andrew as a kid was Rue. The tipster claimed Andrew was living in Lincoln, although so far, they haven't been able to get any further information. Andrew's family continue to launch appeals for information. They firmly believe Andrew is still alive and cling to the hope that he might one day walk through their front door using the key he had with him when he left. This year, 2020, Andrew will be 27. If you are Andrew, or you have any information about him, or need help of any kind with regard to a missing person, either yourself or someone you know, don't hesitate to phone 116-000 at any time of day inside the UK. There is always help out there. Angela Hammond On April 4th, 1991, at around 9pm, 20-year-old Angela Hammond dropped off her fiancé Rob Schaefer at his mother's house. The couple had spent the evening together at a barbecue, but Rob had to babysit his younger brother until his mother returned from work, and the pair planned to meet up again later. Angela was four months pregnant at the time, and her and Rob were planning to be married. Both the Schaefers and the Hammonds families were eagerly awaiting the marriage and the birth of their new grandbaby. Life for the couple was looking well. As Angela left and Rob waved goodbye on the doorstep, she promised to call him later. In the interim, Angela spent time with her best friend, Kayla. At approximately 11pm, Angela and Kayla parted ways for the night and... As she had promised, Angela phoned her fiancé from a payphone on the corner of 2010 South 2nd Street, where the Food Barn store parking lot was situated. Nowadays, a lone female in a payphone in a deserted parking lot at 11pm at night would be unheard of, 
but things were different in the small rural town of Clinton, Missouri. The small community was close-knit, mostly made up of farmers, factory workers, or small business owners. So Angela would have felt safe in a place where violent crime was unheard of. As Angela chatted with Rob on the phone, she mentioned that a strange truck kept circling around the square. It was a late 60s, early 70s model Ford F-150. As a native of Clinton, Angela was familiar with most of the vehicles that usually cruised the square, but didn't recognize this one. However, she thought little of it and continued her conversation with Rob. Angela was getting tired and told Rob she was going to go home instead of waiting around for him to pick her up. Moments later, the man from the circling truck stopped and got out to use the phone box next to Angela. She went on to describe the man to Rob and said he was a dirty-looking old white man with a white beard and mustache. Angela was relieved when he left the phone box and returned to his truck, but became nervous when he didn't drive off. Suddenly, the man returned, and the next thing Rob heard was Angela screaming. In a desperate panic, Rob drops the phone and runs out to his car and drives at speed the seven blocks to the parking lot. As he approaches it, the old Ford pickup passes him on the road, with Angela screaming inside. Rob immediately shoves his car into reverse and spins around in the road to give chase, but the mover destroys his car's transmission and about two miles into the chase, his car dies and he is helpless as he watches his fiancée disappear down a dark, rural lane. Rob makes his way back to the police station and reports what happened. Initially, Rob was the main suspect, but after a week-long investigation, he was cleared. This wasted valuable time. Checks were run on all the trucks that fit the description Rob had given, but it turned up nothing. There was one distinguishing feature of the truck. It had an image on the back glass that featured a fish jumping out of the water. Rob also gave the details to the police sketch artist about the truck's driver. This is where things begin to differ from Angela's description over the phone. He didn't see a white man with a white beard and mustache. This discrepancy is potentially what caused some people to suspect Rob, but investigators were satisfied he wasn't involved, and it is possible the beard Angela described was fake, and it fell off in the struggle to bundle her into the truck. An extensive search and investigation was carried out by both the police and the community, but it found nothing. Initially, Angela's abduction was linked to two similar disappearances that had occurred within an 80-mile radius months earlier in January and February of 1991, that of Trudy Darby and Cheryl Ann Kenny. Trudy was subsequently found murdered, but Cheryl's disappearance is still unsolved. Trudy was murdered and kidnapped by 15-year-old Jesse Rush and his half-brother Marvin Cheney, and in letters, Jesse Rush wrote that he alluded to the fact that him and Marvin had done the same to other women, although nothing was ever proved. Angela's case also featured on the TV show Unsolved Mysteries, and a reenactment of her disappearance was created, but produced no further leads. Angela's mother, Marsha, even appeared on the Oprah Winfrey show to highlight the plight of her missing daughter, but again, 
no new information came forward. Nearly 30 years on, it is a complete mystery what happened to Angela. No trace of her has ever been found. She was alive the last time Rob had seen her, and although unlikely, it is still possible she is still alive somewhere and gave birth to the baby she was expecting. For Rob, he not only lost his future wife, but also his future child. As with every case we highlight, if you have any information on the disappearance of Angela Hammond, please contact the Clinton Police Department at 600-885-2679. Keith Reinhard This mystery doesn't begin with Keith Reinhard. It starts with Tom Young. Tom ran a bookshop on Main Street in Silver Plume, Colorado, in the heart of the Rocky Mountains. On September 7, 1987, Tom closed up his shop, and along with his dog Gus, he disappeared. Tom had previously told people he was taking a vacation to Europe, and so it was three weeks before anyone reported him missing. A few months after Tom went missing, 49-year-old Keith Reinhardt, a sports writer for the Chicago Daily Herald, had grown dissatisfied and restless with his life and decided to take a 90-day leave of absence and move to Silverplume, leaving his wife Carolyn in Chicago. Keith's longtime friend Ted Parker already lived there, and Keith envied his rustic, uncomplicated lifestyle. Keith intended to open an antique shop, write a book, and find himself. Coincidentally, Ted Parker owned the storefront that was previously let to Tom Young and re-let it to his friend Keith. Keith arrived in Silverplume in June 1988 and set up his antique shop, but he soon found that there was not much of a market for antiques in the sleepy, somewhat run-down area of the Rockies, and the drudgery of running a shop bored him. However, since moving to Silverplume, Keith had become obsessed by the unexplained disappearance of the former keeper of the shop and began talking to everyone in the small community who had known Tom, and decided to base the novel he intended to write on his disappearance. The character he created for his novel was called Guy Gypsum, and was a composite of himself and Tom. Then, on July 31st, 1988, just a month after Keith had arrived in Silverplume, two hunters found the remains of Tom and Gus in the nearby mountains. Both had died from a bullet wound to the head. Laying near the remains was a revolver. Investigations later revealed Tom had purchased the gun four days before he was last seen in Silverplume. The case was open and shut, and ruled as a suicide although some had their doubts about this verdict, including Keith. On August 7th, a week after Tom's remains were found, Keith announced to friends that he was heading into the mountains for a brief hike up Mount Pendleton. He was last seen wearing casual clothing and trainers. The alarm was raised after Keith failed to return at 10pm, as scheduled. His disappearance led to one of the biggest searches in Colorado history. The search was called off on August 14th, after a plane involved with the search crashed, killing one and injuring another. 
but by then it had logged more than 10,000 man-hours and hadn't found a single clue. Over 30 years later, Keith's son Kai Reinhard still searches for the truth about what happened to his father. He doesn't believe his dad's disappearance and Tom's death are a coincidence. He believes foul play is involved, and that maybe his father stumbled across something about Tom's death during his research. Kai doesn't believe his father would have just left with no note or contact. However, his best friend Ted Parker felt then and now that Keith simply fell and his remains are still lost to the mountain. Speculation about Keith's vanishing has varied from a planned disappearance or suicide to something more sinister, and for now, the case is still open. A plaque has been placed on the mountain where Keith disappeared by his son Kai. It is inscribed with his father's words written when he was just a boy. It reads, Oh God, I want to wander. I want to wander till I die. With the mountains as my living room, my only roof, the sky. The words are quite prophetic, and tragically it seems may have come true. Anyone with any information regarding this case is asked to please contact the Clear Creek County Sheriff's Office. And now you have the facts. Three people who vanished in mysterious circumstances. Please leave a comment down below with your own theories and speculations, and remember to like the video and subscribe to support the channel. Thank you for watching, and I'll see you next time. Follow us on Twitter at Louis Gang Entertainment, on YouTube and Instagram at Louis Gang. It will mean so much to the whole team.